Welcome to the Mercy Commons podcast. Thank you for joining us today. We trust that the Word of God encourages you and that the Holy Spirit empowers you. Morning, everyone. Um, I, uh, I had a very good experience during uh, Christmas Eve. Um, I know, you're like, well, hang on, he's very confused. Just stay with me for a second. Um, and so what happened at Christmas Eve is uh, we gather with um, a bunch of families. We've been doing it for maybe 16 years. Uh, we started gathering uh, with these families because it was the anniversary of when one of these families had lost their dad. And so we didn't want them to be alone on Christmas Eve, and so this kind of tradition grew. And one of the things that I love is competition. And so at Christmas Eve, we have a competition. And um, I'm standing in front, our lounge is full of people. We have the Christmas tree to my left, and we have presents all the way around. And, um, and I'm walking around, and people are arguing with me about points, and whether they got points for this, whether they got points for that. And everyone is trying to intimidate me, and I'm not getting intimidated. And, um, and I go to step on what I think is a, a space, and it's actually a human being. So I move my foot and step on a present, as I realize that I'm stepping on a present, I move my foot, spin all the way around, grab the Christmas tree, and I'm, and I'm about to fall down, and everyone bursts out in laughter, and is pointing, and is like, can you believe this? And I was really grateful for that. Do you know why? Because when a young person falls down, what do you do? You point and laugh, right? When an old person falls down, what do you do? Everyone goes, and you wonder what's going to happen, right? Are they going to get up? Is it going to be okay? So I was very grateful for this, you know. I I thought about just the main concept of resilience. For those of you that have children, you'll know, you'll see your child, they'll be running, they'll hit the ground really hard, and then they'll get up and look around. What are they looking for? To see if anyone's looking, right? If someone's looking, what happens? They just cry, right? If no one's looking, what happens? They get up, they just, and, they, and they move on, you know. Um, and so while I was in Nepal, I, um, I was uh, sitting in a coffee shop. They have coffee shops in Nepal, actually pretty good ones. And, um, and I was thinking about just this concept of resilience and um, how the Nepalese churches not only have resilience, but have resilience with joy. Um, and I was thinking, man, that's such a rare thing, to actually be both joyful and resilient. And I felt like God led me as we came out of Easter. Uh, this, uh, this morning, we're starting our series called Reimagining Resilience um, and, and what that actually means. You know, in, uh, in 2010, Google search said that the term resilience had an interest score of 20 out of 100. And in 2022, it was 80 out of 100. People are searching for what resilience means. Resilience is also a generational flashpoint, right? Because Gen Xs and Boomers always are dumping on Millennials and Gen Zers because they are weak and fragile. And uh, the uh, Gen Zers and Millennials look at the Gen Xs and Boomers as emotionally disconnected and angry and unhappy. And they look at them as outdated, dismissive, 
and condescending, especially when it comes to the whole idea of being resilient. Um, neuroscience has shown us that over time, repeated engagement in challenging activities actually leads to changes in your brain structure. It means that there is increased connectivity in different brain regions because your brain is forced to grow new neural pathways. And you can improve your cognitive abilities when you actually intentionally place your brain in stressful situations. An example of that was when, you know, when, uh, um, when our parents were um, diagnosed with Alzheimer's, one of the things that they were said is, you need to do something that is completely out of your zone. So, like for a man, and if there are men that knit, that's great. But generally speaking, I would say nine out of ten men don't know how to knit. It's like, learn how to knit, because it is, it is completely out of your frame of mind, and it's going to force you to think and respond in different ways. When we read the Bible, we, we see that it is inescapable that a massive level of resilience is not only required, but is also called out by Jesus and by the rest of the early church as something that is critical. Resilience is not only something that is called out, but resilience is something that we are promised that we will receive in our relationship with God. Romans 5, verses 1 to 5 in the Common English Bible says this, Therefore, since we have been made righteous through His faithfulness, we have peace with our God through Jesus Christ. We have access by faith into this grace in which we stand through Him, and we boast in the hope of God's glory. Now, that sounds great, right? That sounds awesome. Not only that, and as you read that, it's like, what else do we get to boast in? And the Scripture continues, but not only that, we even take pride in our problems. The Scripture says we glory in our tribulations because we know that trouble produces endurance or perseverance. Endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And this hope does not put us to shame. Also, it says this hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. As I said last week, we are not alone. For those of you that have placed your faith in Jesus, we don't only celebrate the fact that Jesus is alive, we celebrate the fact that Christ lives in me. And what Paul is telling the Roman church is you have this amazing hope. You have been made right by grace through faith. We have access to God by this grace, but not only that. So there is no bait and switch here. There was no bait and switch with Jesus, where Jesus says, unless um, you lose your life, you cannot gain it. Unless you carry your cross, you can have no part. I mean, there was no bait and switch in all of that. And so we come to the two extremes when it comes to resilience. And the one extreme is the extreme of fragility or safetyism. This idea of like, okay, the world is hard, so what we need to do is we need to shield and protect ourselves and our children from every potentially difficult or dangerous thing that we can. And we tend to live in fear and anxiety. We have a defensive posture. We blame our circumstances. We globalize tragedy, and we minimize success. And that's one of the ways that we tend to deal with difficulties in our life. The, the other way is toughness, right? I don't want to be fragile. I'm going to be tough. Suck it up, buttercup. This is life. You know what I mean? Life is hard, and then you die. You know? Life is hard, so be harder. Um, this person takes risks. 
They engage in dangerous and difficult things. They have faced and they've overcome difficulties. But they themselves are beginning to become cynical and hard and bitter. So let's look first at what resilience is not. Let's show the slide of what it is not. How tough are you, right? I, I kind of think that could be Michaela, really, right? I was just, I was just thinking, you know, th this could be Michaela, you know what I mean? So the idea of resilience, when you think of resilience, is like, okay, how tough can you be? You know what I mean? Let's, let's, let's make uh, this hard, tough, difficult world, we're going to meet it head on with our own toughness. But that's not what it means. It means that we are able to face hard and difficult things without ourselves becoming hard and difficult. It means that we don't need to step into arrogance to be able to be those that are resilient. As I was doing some studying, I was, uh, I was typed in, what is the difference between toughness and resilience? And the civil engineering graph came up. Any civil engineers in the room? No? And it's interesting because in this graph, it talks about two things. It talks about the difference between an element that is tough and an element that is resilient. And the element that is resilient absorbs energy to the point of deformation. In other words, when something is resilient, when energy is pushed down in it, it actually changes shape. When something is tough, it absorbs energy till the point of fracture, till the point that it breaks. Now, generally speaking, something as tough can absorb more energy until it breaks and something is resilient, but something that is resilient bends, something that is tough breaks. And so, for most of us, and, and being a male growing up in the way that I grew up, it was this whole thing of not learning resilience, but learning toughness. And too often, that has resulted in people being broken and not bending and being, um, being able to understand what true godly biblical resilience is. Toughness is about presenting a facade. There is nothing that I can't handle. Throw it at me. Just bring it on. There's nothing I can't handle. But resilience is about accepting that failure, opposition, trial and testing are normal and not to become immobilized by it. Now, there's a difference between preparation and immobilization. And there's a difference between vigilance and fear. And so I don't want us to live in this constant place of like, if I put my, my foot here, what is going to happen? If I make this decision, what is going to happen? No, but we need to assume that there will be difficulties and there will be opposition. But if we constantly live our lives in a sense of anticipating that opposition, we're just going to shrink and shrink and shrink. And that's not what God has in mind for us. Do you guys remember that song, I Get Knocked Down? I get knocked down, but I get up again. You're never going to, whatever, you know. I, I can't even remember. Who was that, David? Do you remember? Tub Chumbawamba. Yeah, Chumbawamba. I get, so, so the idea is like, I get knocked down, but I get up again. My question is, why are you getting knocked down? This, we wouldn't have to sing the song if you weren't getting knocked down right? It's like, don't get knocked down, and then you won't need to get up, you know? So resilience, part of resilience is the idea of, I get knocked down, but I get up again, but part of resilience is actually not getting knocked down. 
A part of resilience is, is actually saying, okay, I'm going to face this, and it's not going to be such a difficult thing for me to face. Because I'm not going to kind of pull myself up from my bootstraps. I'm going to engage in the way in which Jesus has taught me to engage when I come to difficult circumstances. So what is resilience? The basic definition is the ability to adapt or recover from challenging circumstances. Now, I have mixed definition. is a little different. No, no, it's... Oh, boy. You know what I mean? You see... I was ready for opposition, so I'm not, I'm not getting knocked down by it. I'm just taking it in my stride. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. This is my definition. The ability to joyfully adapt, recover, and re-engage quickly. Now, quickly does not mean immediately, but it means that whatever you face does not affect you for an extraordinary long period of time. That, that this bump in the road, this hurdle, or this tragedy that, that you have faced does not overtake your life, that you are able to joyfully adapt or recover and re-engage not only with yourself, with your relationships with God quickly without distorting your sense of self, your view of God, or His people. I'm going to say that again. The ability to joyfully adapt Recover and re-engage quickly without distorting your sense of self, your view of God, or His people. So here's the bad news. There is no resilience gene. There are not some of us that are born more resilient than others. Resilience is not a personality trait that you either have or you haven't. Uh, this is a, a difficult part. Resilience is not a gift of the Spirit. Uh, you can search the Scriptures and you will not find resilience as a gift of the Spirit. The bad news is that in order for you to grow in resilience, you need opposition. The bad news is that failure and adversity are requirements for anyone to build resilience. The good news is that the Holy Spirit will give you opportunities to equip you and to lead you and to comfort you and to empower you when you face opposition. Because if there isn't opposition, there's often very little reason for us to lean into the Spirit. Now, how many of you know that when things are going fine, your desire to pray is maybe just a little lessened than when the pawpaw has hit the fan, and then you are, dear Jesus, please shut off the fans, stop throwing the pawpaws, we've had enough. You know, And so I guarantee you, as a Christ follower, there will be opposition. Why? Because Jesus guaranteed it. Because Jesus went through it. And so over the next seven weeks, we're going to look at what the building blocks for resilience are. The American Psychological Association says that you build resilience through connection, wellness, healthy thinking, and meaning. But what we're going to be doing over the next seven weeks is we're going to look at these building blocks, and hopefully you'll be able to see that some of them are things that we can actually positively engage in, not necessarily defensive postures. So we're going to look at how our own failures and sins help us build resilience. We're going to look at how our disappointments and sufferings, the things that have happened to you and are not your fault, help you build resilience. We're going to look at how community and social connectedness helps you build resilience. 
how self-awareness and emotional regulation does, how self-care does, how joy and gratitude, and ultimately, how purpose helps us build resilience. In John 14 through 16, Jesus is talking to his disciples, and he's trying to gently help them understand that he's not going to be around for a while. Well, actually, he's not. He's going to die. He's going to be resurrected, and he's going to send to the Father, but the Holy Spirit is going to be present with him. And what he's doing is he's giving them a case study in resilience in these chapters. And so Jesus is preparing his disciples for a resilient life for when he leaves them. And so I want to say that resilience is not the sweet fruit from trauma's tree. It is abiding in Jesus, connecting to others, and a deep sense of fruitfulness and purpose. John 15, verse 1. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, He takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, He prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide, which means remain intertwined. Get your sustenance in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. Not the branch. You are the branches, plural. Whoever abides in me and I in him, it is he that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. And we know that that isn't true. We know that apart from Jesus, we can do a lot of things. And, and many of us have tried that. What Jesus is saying is, apart from me, you can do nothing that is fruitful in that sense. We know that we can do a lot apart from him. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, then whatever you, uh, whatever you wish Ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I've kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I've spoken to you, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Resilience comes from abiding. I know that there's a lot of books that you can take out there and actually see how do I build resilience, but this is, this is the reality. For the last, I think, 10 to 12 weeks, we've been talking about how a life in Jesus is not about what we do, but how we respond to what the Spirit is already doing in us. And so if we enter this series basically saying, okay, this is what I need to do in order to develop a more resilient life. No, this is how I need to respond to what the Spirit is already doing in me. My new nature, the fact that Christ lives in me, and learning to abide in Jesus so that I can be the kind of man and woman of God that He has called me to be. So when I abide in Jesus, I can trust the vine dresser. I can trust Him because Jesus never lied to me. Not once, never will. Because in John 15, later on, he tells his disciples, if the world hates you, know that it hated me first. 
If you belonged to the world, then the world would love you as its own. However, I have chosen you out of the world, and you don't belong to the world. This is why the world hates you. Remember what I told you. Servants aren't greater than their master. If the world harassed me, it will harass you too. If, I, if it kept my word, it would also keep yours. And we know that Jesus did this multiple times with his disciples. Jesus made it very clear that he wasn't presenting a softer option for people. In fact, one time he, says, he said to his disciples, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you can have no part in me. Now we know that he was talking about the symbol of communion. Now we know that he was talking about bread and wine. But if you have no grid for that, and I say to you, if you want to be part of Mercy Commons, you need to eat my flesh and drink my blood, how many of you are hanging around? <laughs> I mean, you should not be, let's be honest, right? And so many disciples left because they could not understand this. And Peter says to Jesus, Peter, do you also want to leave? And Peter didn't say, no, because I've come to understand that you are the bread of life. I've come to understand that the blood that you will shed on the cross will be for the remission of our sins. I've got it, Jesus. I understand this. I'm a little freaked out by the metaphor, but I'm here, you know? No, what does Peter say? Who, where else can we go? Who else has the words of eternal life? In other words, I'm not really sure what you're talking about, but I'm here. And oftentimes when you're going through difficulties, you've got to say to God, God, I don't know what's happening, but I'm here because you are here with me, in the midst, with me. I can trust you because you never said that this would be easy. Jesus promotes resilience in, in his community of disciples because he is tempering expectations. He's wanting them to know that adversity is unavoidable because biblic, biblical healthy resilience is actually resistance to the world and the way in which the world is trying to shape us. Because remember, the world is trying to shape us to either be this tough person or this person that's basically just defensive in their posture. And that's not what Jesus is talking about. Jesus talks about pruning here. He says that I am the, the true vine and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Now, I don't know how many of you have seen a vineyard when it's pruned. It does not look like there is a lot of life there. I mean, it looks gnarled and you're like, wow, someone did that. Yes. Someone did that. The thing about pruning is that pruning is intentional, it is attentive, and it is for our own good. And Jesus says, a branch that bears fruit. Pruning is not judgment. Because we know that Jesus is saying that there will be judgment. Those are not of me. Those who are not following me, those that are not part of the vine, they'll be gathered up and they'll be thrown into the fire. There is a judgment. But for you who are of me, who are abiding in me, as you bear fruit, there will be a pruning so that you bear more fruit. We see the next slide. And this happens, guys, it happens every year. Every year this happens. We have rose bushes in my garden. And one of the things that Karen is concerned about is that I don't have a horticultural degree, but I have a really good set of shears. And so when I prune the roses every year, Karen's like, you killed them! Look, it's just this gnarled little thing. 
Unlike me, Jesus knows exactly what he's doing. <laughs> he does. He does not prune out of anger. He does not prune out of frustration. And he does not prune for us to look pretty. He prunes for fruitfulness sake. I want to say this damage is different to pruning. I said this a while back. There's a, there's a plant in my garden. I'm beginning to feel old. When someone talks too much about horticulture, they're probably old. You know what I mean? I don't know. But, but there is this, this plant that, that my dog has ruined. Um, and I've had to come and I've had to prune it back significantly. Because that broken branch I've had to cut so that actually the new sprouts can grow from that. And when you're feeling the pruning of Jesus, as a follower of him, I want to invite you to ask him two questions. Jesus, is this for my fruitfulness or is this because of damage? Your, your prayers will inform how you respond to the Spirit. Because, Je because Jesus is only pruning you for one of two reasons. He's pruning you because you've been damaged and it's for your own good that this needs to be cut back, or he's pruning you so that you can bear more fruit. When I abide in Jesus, I'm connected to others. I'm the vine and you are the branches, plural. John 15 verse 12, he says, this is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. One of the things that psychologists say um, that is critical in developing resilience, especially in the context of children, is the idea of a strong family network. This is there is no resilience gene, there is not something that you can give a child to make them more resilient, but, but what they'll tell you is that a child that is facing difficulties and has a strong family around them is going to handle that better than a child that does not. Now, if that is true, in the natural, how much more true is that in the spiritual? And true biblical resilience is not only being able to trust the vine dresser, but being able to say, I am part of the vine. I'm not a fig tree, I'm not a standalone, I'm part of the vine, I'm intertwined. Let me, let's show those other photos. What happens when, when we go through pruning is you can see the individual vines a lot easier, right? But when it's a time of fruitfulness, all you see is this beautiful sense of like these vines intertwining and being fruitful and producing wine, which we won't get into. But <laughs> We are both those that receive help in our desire to become more resilient, but we are also those that give help to other members of our body when they require it for their own resilience sake. That's why God has put us in the body. Now, remember those of you, almost a year ago, we did the One Another series, right? It's only in a body where we are able to love one another, where we are able to encourage one another, where we are able to pray for one another, where we are able to forgive one another, confess our sins to one another, where we are able to spur one another on, where we are able to bear one another's burdens. And so the, the, the key to biblical resilience is that we trust what Jesus is doing, the vine dresser, that we understand that part of what he's doing is he's pruning us for fruitfulness and that we are not alone. We are connected to one another if we are part of the vine. That's right. I'm glad you agree. <laughs> when I abide in Jesus, I produce fruit that lasts. 
And that's the key. Verse 16, Jesus says, you didn't, chose, you didn't choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you could look pretty on the vine, so that people could come and say, wow, what a pretty looking vine. No, so that you could go and produce fruit and so that your fruit will last. I want to say this, we, we don't strive to produce fruit. Remember, we covered this in Galatians, our nature has changed. We, we are for all intents and purposes the vine, right? That's what Jesus is saying. What is, what is written into the DNA, is DNA a plant thing? I'm guessing it is. Let's just go with the fact that it is, okay? What's written into that is what? It produces. It produces fruit. And so as we've come to faith and as we've said to Jesus, I don't want to live my life the way I believe I should live it. I don't want to live my life the way the world believes I should live it. I want to live my life abiding in you and I want to produce fruit that lasts. It means eternal fruit. We spoke about this last week, but you know, developing resilience is not about just surviving. Developing resilience is about fruitfulness that will last, eternal fruit. We understand in all of this that the adversity that we face, but also the opportunity that we have to produce fruit, is only going to last about 85 years. On average, you know what I mean? If you're close to 85, don't worry. I'm just saying. I mean, on average, on average, that's the age, 85 years. Well, you think about it, where you are now in terms of 85 years. And this is Jesus' call to us. If you abide in me, you will produce fruit that lasts, eternal fruit. Paul says that if you build according to the world, you build with wood, hay, and stubble. If you build eternally, you build with gold and precious stones. And those things will be tested by fire. And ultimately, we understand as eternal beings connected to the vine, connected to each other, that our purpose is to bear fruit. Now, this should help our temporal mindset. Because when we are experiencing adversity, we will know this. This too will end. This too will pass. We are being shaped for eternity. But we are also being shaped for our present hope. Remember last week I said we have an eternal hope and a present purpose? Because Jesus says in verse 11, These things I have spoken to you, so that you will have like a really difficult life and then ultimately just look forward to heaven. Your life here will be terrible, but ultimately heaven will be great, so just focus on that. No. He says, these things I've spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Now, there is a sense in which I know many of us have experienced the opposite. Many of us have experienced pain and death and loss. And when we experience new life, the level of joy that we experience because of the level of pain that we experience is just so much higher. And there's a sense in which, for many of us, we know that there, there is a sense of joy that we will experience on this earth. Because when we respond to God, there will be a joy that fills us and completes us because it's not of this world. There will be a joy that in the midst of our trying circumstances, we can look at that and actually say, I feel held by God. I'm abiding in Him. I feel connected to others. And I know that this is ultimately producing something for my good and for His glory. You know why? Because this kind of resilience where we just hang on for grim death, that's not glorifying to God. 
The kind of resilience where you pretend like everything is fine is not glorifying to God. The kind of resilience, and as we, we'll go over it over the next couple of weeks, which says, man, my life is difficult. I'm not understanding this. God, you feel so far away. Help me to process this. That is the kind of resilience that draws others more into the realm of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. How do I start this journey? Well, we have the greatest example ever in Jesus of resilience. Jesus, in the face of adversity and suffering, he did not develop some unhealthy coping mechanism where he just hardened his heart to everyone. Could you imagine what it was like inviting all your disciples and Judas to have a meal with you? Imagine what it's like having Judas come to you and Jesus say to him, friend, do what you must. And that does not speak to me of a hard, tough, gritty resilience. But it does speak of a deep, spirit-empowered, healthy resilience. There's no avoidant behavior where Jesus is like, no, this is, this is too difficult. I'm, uh, I'm, I'm sure that this is going to affect me emotionally and psychologically, so I'm just going to jump out of this. And in the Garden of Gethsemane, when Jesus is there and he's talking to his father and he's full of fear and he's full of anxiety and he's full of fatigue, and he asks the question, Father, can you take this cup from me? And then he says, thank God for our sake. But not my will, but your will be done. It's okay to ask, God, can you take this cup from me? You know, the tragedy in all of this is as I'm talking about being connected and as I'm talking about the community helping you in resilience. And what did Jesus ask his disciples to do when he went to the garden? My soul, my, my, my soul is troubled within me. Stay with me and pray. And he goes a little further. And what do his disciples do? They're sleeping. What does Jesus do? See, it's your fault. You didn't pray for me. You didn't stay awake for me. Now I have to face this even harder, and I'm not going to trust anyone ever again. That would be our response. It would be my response. Let me not put that on you. It would be my response. You're going in my list, in my book. So the top of my book, it's, it's two strikes, and you're out. Not one, three, whatever. Jesus is in the garden, and he's absorbing this collision with pain that no one understands he's going to deal with. And with an honest expression of real emotion, he weeps, but he also endures. And over these next couple of weeks, we're going to look at what it looks like to weep and endure. Because endurance isn't always like, yeah, everything is awesome. Endurance is like, life is hard. I'm trying to abide in Jesus. It is very difficult right now. When Jesus was being tested by the devil, full of fear and apprehension, unsure of what would happen when he spent 40 days and 40 nights is this beautiful verse that comes and it says, and the angels ministered to him. There's also a pretty frightening 
portion of scripture that comes in there and says, and the devil left him for a more opportune time. You know what we're understanding then? He received help in that moment, but his temptation didn't end in that place. And when we receive help in that moment, when we cry to God and we feel like we're being ministered to by worship or by someone in this community or we're being ministered to just directly by God and we feel like things are going to be okay or the situation miraculously changes, there will be more. But man, you can turn back and you can look at that moment and say, the angels ministered to me. Yeah, I was alone in that garden. I asked for help. But God gave me what I needed in that moment of adversity. We can start this because we have the greatest example ever. Band, you can come up. We can start this journey towards resilience not only because we have Jesus as our example, but because Jesus promised us a helper. Because Jesus knew that he wasn't going to stay with his disciples. And he knew that he was going to ascend to the right hand of the Father. And we have a helper, which means what? This is not a trick question. If we have a helper, what do we get to do? To ask for help. I mean, guys, this is the most exciting news you can get. When things are difficult, you don't have to handle it on your own. He's called the helper. The one that walks alongside us. The comforter. The empowerer. The one that leads us into all truth. We have him. Jesus says in John 14, verse 16, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor, helper, advocate, intercessor, the one who walks alongside the paraclete to be with you forever. The spirit of truth, the world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him for he lives with you and will be in you. That is the privilege that a child of God has, that Christ lives in me through the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit is not a helicopter parent. He doesn't take us out of a situation that might be dangerous for us and put us in another one. He doesn't vaporize our enemies, though honestly, from time to time, that might be good, but he doesn't. He doesn't. This is what he does. He heals, he leads, he provides, and he's present and walks alongside us. The Holy Spirit is not there to eliminate adversity, but he is most present in the midst of adversity because he walks alongside us. Many years ago, some of you know the story, Fallon was learning how to swim. And, uh, and it was, it was a, a tough thing for her. And so it was an Olympic-sized pool. It was at Biola. And she jumped into the pool. And, um, and she was struggling. And Karen was walking alongside her. Don't touch the end, baby. Don't touch. You can do this. You can do this, baby. I'm right here. Come on. And Fallon started to cry, and she's got goggles on, right? So what happens when you cry with goggles on? They start to fill with tears, right? So now she's kind of double whammy. And she's breathing heavy, and I can see that Karen, all she wants to do is reach in there and pull her out of the pool. But all she's doing is walking alongside. You can do this, baby. You've got this. You can do this. I know you can. Come on. I'm walking alongside you. Fallon gets out the end of the pool. Karen grabs a towel. She wraps her in the towel, and she just holds her. And Fallon's little body is like this, and Karen is crying, and Fallon is crying, 
And I'm looking at this and I'm thinking, that is a picture of the God that walks alongside us. You can do this. It's difficult. You are able to do this. Why could Fallon trust Karin so much? Because she knew that if she was going to drown, Karin would be in there in a heartbeat. Because Karin knew her better than she knew herself. The Spirit of God knows us better than we know ourselves. He's the God that walks alongside us. Let's pray. Father, this morning I want to pray for these precious men and women. And I just want to admit, God, I have no idea what kind of adversity, what kind of pain, what kind of difficulty they're walking through. I have no idea how alone they feel. I have no idea whether they feel like this is your fault. I have no idea whether they are just burdened with shame and guilt. But God, I pray right now in the name of Jesus for just a fresh outpouring of your grace. I want to pray that you would show us that we abide in you. That we can trust you as the vine dresser. That we are connected to others. And most importantly, we have you, Holy Spirit, as our helper. And I want to pray as we sing now, God, I want to pray for those that are going through current adversity. I want to pray that you would meet them in that. I also want to pray for those that are fearful of what is coming next. Maybe not in a place of facing something difficult, but just fearful of what's next. Jesus, I want to pray that you would replace that fear with a knowledge that you live in us and the God that walks alongside us knows us better than we know ourselves. We trust you, Jesus. We trust you. Jesus, we are grateful for your body broken for us. We are grateful that this was not a mistake or something that had gone wrong. This was your intentional purpose. You knew what it would mean when on the night you were betrayed, you gave us this to remember you. And so we take this representation of your body broken for us and we eat it with joy and gladness you for this that we hold the fruit of the vine we thank you that as we hold it in our hands we remember that we get wine because grapes are crushed we are so grateful for this blood that you spilled for our freedom for our hope and for our future and we gladly drink it, eagerly desiring your return. 
band is going to continue to play that song, I want to invite you to receive prayer, specifically in two areas. The one is if you're facing adversity, if you feel like you're in that place of Gethsemane, and you don't want to feel alone, there are people that would love to pray for you. But I also feel specifically this morning, there's a number of people that are fearful of the future, not because you know what's going to happen, but because you don't know what's going to happen. It's like this anticipatory fear. Like, I'm not sure what's going to happen. Nothing bad is happening right now, but I am so stressed out about it. We would love to be able to pray for you. We're going to have some deacons and leaders on my left to your right. Please come and receive prayer. Thank you for listening to the Mercy Commons podcast. If you enjoyed today's content, please rate us and hit subscribe. And if you'd like to learn more about us, visit our website at mercycommons.church.